Welcome to AMDA On The Go, your gateway to expert discussions, journal article reviews, and innovations in post-acute and long-term care. AMDA On The Go is a presentation of AMDA, the Society for Post-Acute and Long-Term Care Medicine. Statements made by guests on the podcast are their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the position of the society. A speaker's appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them, their views, or any entity they represent. This podcast is eligible for ABPLM pre-approved certified medical director credits. Details will be provided at the end of this podcast. And now, here's our host for AMDA on the go, Dr. Diane Sanders-Cepeda. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for another AMDA on the go podcast. I am very excited to be joined by three captivating um, women leaders in in our nursing and medical societies. And we are going to have a great conversation around COVID boosters and therapeutics in the post-acute long-term care setting. I am going to ask them to introduce themselves, but to just to let you know who we're talking with, um, our AMDA, the Society for Post-Acute Long-Term Care President, Dr. Suzanne Galepsi, our um, American Association of Nurse Practitioners President, April Kapu, and our Geratological Advanced Practice Nurse Association, we love GAPNA, Dr. Jennifer Kim. If you ladies would please introduce yourselves and let our audience know what you've been working on. And we'll start with Suzanne. Thank you so much, Diane. Uh, my name is Suzanne Gillespie. I'm the president of AMDA, the Society for Post-Acute and Long-Term Care Medicine. Uh, I'm associate professor of medicine at the University of Rochester School of Medicine and Dentistry. Uh, it's been a really uh, important time for us in post-acute and long-term care. There's been so much change that's happened in the field over the recent years and through the pandemic. Uh, and out of this great crisis has come a lot of attention upon our care setting uh, and upon our interdisciplinary teams uh, and residents. Uh, it, it's really created the opportunity for us to work together to think about how we can improve care for older adults uh, and how specifically we can collaborate to improve practice uh, this fall. Uh, we've joined together in that effort because as the COVID pandemic uh, has continued uh, and, and we're entering winter of 2022, uh, we recognize that really the shift in our response from the pandemic is moving away from one that's largely been driven by public health entities to a response that's engaging clinicians and bedside care teams uh, in caring for patients and providing them good counsel. So as we uh, enter the winter season and we anticipate the potential increases in new variant COVID cases uh, and an increase in influenza cases and other respiratory viral illnesses, uh, it, it's really important for us to work together as clinical professional societies so that we make sure that our uh, clinical teams have really good information and tools about how to provide optimal care for those in post-acute and long-term care settings. Thank you. April, why don't you go next? Hi, yes, I'm April Kapu. I'm an acute care nurse practitioner. Uh, my background is in cardiovascular critical care. Uh, I'm the president of the American Association of Nurse Practitioners. 
we are a membership organization of about 121,000 members, um, but we really uh, try to represent the voice of, of the nurse practitioner um, of all specialties. And I'm delighted that uh, Dr. Jenny Kim is, is joining me on this podcast today as well. I'm also uh, the Associate Dean for Clinical and Community Partnerships and Professor of Nursing at Vanderbilt University School of Nursing. Have been very engaged in the COVID response over the last two and a half, three years, uh, both uh, with my work at Vanderbilt University Medical Center, but really uh, in my role as president of AANP, uh, nurse practitioners have been integral to um, from the beginning, uh, from the testing, uh, making sure everyone in every community had access to testing, to treatment, and being engaged on those teams in the ED and the hospital and nursing homes and in the home. Um, throughout the whole treatment phase. And certainly now as we are moving um, to make sure everyone has access to vaccinations. I have really enjoyed um, the collaboration with Suzanne and the other medical societies to come together as an interprofessional team to really work uh, together as we have been throughout the pandemic to make sure that the public is educated about um, vaccinations. These are so important and they're at our fingertips now and they're available and accessible. And so I am just thrilled to be able to join this podcast with Suzanne and Jenny to talk more about this toolkit um, that has been developed. Thank you. Jenny, why don't you go Thanks for having me. My name is Jenny Kim. I am president of the Gerontological Advanced Practice Nurses Association, otherwise known as GAPNA. I am also a professor of nursing at Vanderbilt School of Nursing, where I teach students who are enrolled in the Adult Gerontology Primary Care Nurse Practitioner Program. So I have been a certified gerontological nurse practitioner uh, for 25 years and have enjoyed uh, serving patients in this capacity and working uh, with other professionals professionals to uh, care for this um, really special uh, population of older adults. I, I was really lucky in that I knew from a young age that I wanted to work with older adults and I wanted to be an advanced practice nurse. So um, I've really enjoyed the journey and um, all of the changes that we've seen in long-term care for the past 25 years. Yeah, I think you all are right. This is this we're, we're trying to chart the, the way forward. And I'm very excited that there was a a meeting with the White House COVID-19 response team on October 17th. Suzanne, I know you were at that meeting. What were some key takeaways that you took from that meeting? Yes, Diane, it was a really wonderful opportunity for us to participate uh, in a roundtable discussion at the White House. Uh, the discussion focused around the COVID-19 response and how we can equip our healthcare professionals with the tools and resources that they're going to need uh, this winter uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic. At the table, I would say there were a few important take-home points. Uh, I think the first one is that we've really seen a transition in the pan pandemic to now really the most influential people in providing COVID preventative measures and COVID therapeutics are those people at the bedside with the patient. So the importance of the clinician-patient relationship in discussing and creating access to things like vaccines and therapeutics. Uh, and I think we've known all along that physicians and certainly nurse practitioners 
uh, and physicians associates, that these important relationships are a large driver of those treatments. Uh, the importance of having good information and interventions about vaccines and therapeutics becomes even more important because the other uh, take-home uh, points from those conversations are that we continue to experience hundreds of deaths every day from COVID-19 illness. So there's really still a tangible need for us to understand how to deploy preventative uh, measures and effective treatments. And that the disproportionate burden uh, of those uh, uh, deaths are borne by uh, older adults, uh, like those that were serving in post-acute and long-term care settings. Uh, when you look at the data, those older adults are much less likely to be receiving treatment interventions for COVID-19 illness, much less likely to be receiving antiviral therapies. And so understanding specifically uh, how we can help clinicians to deploy those treatments effectively is critically important. Uh, and then bringing us together as professional societies is important in that we're all doing a lot of similar work. And so after that meeting, sitting at the table with April and others from professional societies, it's clear to us, hey, we've got similar interests in how this happens. Certainly uh, in post-acute and long-term care uh, as AMDA members and as nurse practitioners, uh, can we bring together some of our partners from the American Academy of Physicians Associates, from our American Society of Consulting Pharmacists to uh, GAPNA to really think together uh, can we deploy a toolkit that all of our members can use that has the resources that they need to understand vaccination and clinical therapeutics um, so that they'll have the tools at their fingertips that will help them to be um, as efficient and effective as possible? Well, April, you were at the table too. What were your takeaways? Well, I, I thought it was a great opportunity to come together for each of the uh, societies to be able to share uh, some of the challenges um, throughout uh, the pandemic that they had experienced, things that went well, uh, but things that could have been done better, um, and just really to better understand um, the uh, rollout of the vaccinations from the beginning. Um, but now as we're moving into uh, the bivalent uh, rollout, really trying to better understand uh, whether there's hesitancy about that or not as much interested about that from the public um, and how we might better get the word out and how important it is uh, for everyone that is eligible to get um, a, certainly their initial COVID series, but the bivalent uh, booster um, now. And uh, particularly now, as we are also seeing flu uh, that has um, really hit us hard and early in the season, um, as well as other respiratory viruses, uh, you know, such as RSV. And, and you've probably heard um, on social media and other sites that um, people are referring to this as the tridemic um, COVID flu and RSV, as well as other respiratory viruses out there. We have vaccination for two of those. We have vaccinations for flu. We have vaccinations uh, for COVID-19. So getting the word out to get those vaccinations as soon as possible is so important, especially as we're heading into the winter. And we really are wanting to not have the high numbers of hospitalizations and death, certainly, um, that much of this uh, can be prevented. And certainly symptoms, if, if if there are individuals that um, do get COVID or flu, that these symptoms can be um, 
mitigated um, substantially um, by having the vaccination. Then we talked quite a bit about Paxlovid and that there are treatments out there, certainly for flu antivirals, but that Paxlovid has really uh, been a um, you know, wonderful uh, addition to our toolkit and, and how we can use that and that it's readily available. I think there was some discussion about, you know, at, at one point it was harder to obtain for providers. Now it is readily available. And Paxlovid, um, when uh, utilized properly, it can have a huge impact in terms of mitigating uh, the symptoms of COVID-19. And uh, recent studies have shown that it can have an impact in a reduction of long COVID, which is what we're seeing quite a bit now. So um, I, I really enjoyed the conversation. I really enjoyed the interprofessional nature, uh, the collaboration, everybody sharing a little bit from their perspective, certainly my perspective as being a nurse practitioner and working with so many um, NPs and what they've experienced on the front lines. So it was a good opportunity to come together and how we as healthcare professionals can really work, trusted healthcare professionals, really work together to provide um, the information needed uh, for our patients, for our providers, and certainly uh, appreciated the opportunity uh, beyond that meeting at the White House to work together with AAPA and, and Suzanne and AMDA and, and, and with GAPNA uh, on this toolkit and the pharmacists as well. Just It's just a great toolkit and I look forward to speaking more about it. We'll return to our program after this brief message. Do you enjoy AMDA's podcast series? Join AMDA for 2023 to gain access to our live an archived webinars, members-only forum, JAMDA, our monthly journal, e-newsletters, discounts on society resources, networking opportunities, and more. Plus, you'll get a free electronic copy of AMDA's brand new Delirium, Depression, and Dementia Clinical Practice Guide. Learn more and enroll at paltc.org. That's paltc.org. And now back to our podcast. Before that, I just wanted to um, loop Jenny in. Jenny, I know you weren't at the 1017 meeting at the White House, but I know you've been talking to multiple stakeholders. Can you share the, the insight that you've gained and some of the takeaways from those conversations? Sure. Uh, we actually have had uh, some calls with the uh, White House uh, COVID response team, some policy advisors, um, and it was a really good conversation because oftentimes I know myself, I can get stuck in my APRN bubble. And it, it was a good reminder of how the public is viewing this and what our message needs to be to the public, as well as to our fellow healthcare providers. Uh, it was uh, really, really helpful uh, to see some other statistics as well, uh, as uh, my colleagues have talked about, just the importance of vaccination plus Paxlovid and how important that is for keeping our older adults safe, especially our frail older adults in long-term care communities, how this is the answer. And it's, we're at a different point in the pandemic than we were two years ago, when we didn't have anything. So that's something that we can 
really celebrate that we have these tools, but we have to get that message out that they are available and they're effective. And there's no shortage of them either. I mean, we ha- we have such a great supply of them. So I've really enjoyed my conversations uh, with, with the White House in that respect. We've also really been engaging with AARP, who's, of course, a big stakeholder for older adults. And I've been really impressed with how AARP is really invested in trying to find some of the answers, uh, looking at why do we have low vaccination rates? How can we improve this? Or how can nurses engage in this really important work, not only in providing vaccinations and uh, treatment, but how do we get the word out? How do we educate others about this really, really important message? Thank you. And I think I really want to lean into talking about that education. I know that um, it was mentioned about the misconceptions and miscommunications about Paxlovid. Suzanne, can you review some of those um, common misconceptions and help us correct those by talking about the evidence that we're actually seeing? Sure. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. There are a lot of myths about Paxlovid as a treatment. Uh, Like one of the biggest myths is that it's not worth the trouble to use it and that patients aren't going to get significant benefit from it. We've seen clinical trials that offer evidence to the contrary. There was a clinical trial that showed that the five-day treatment of Paxlovid uh, showed among non-hospitalized unvaccinated patients that had a high risk of progression of progression to severe disease uh, that they had been significantly reduced in their risk of hospitalization or death. And that was like 88%. We've also seen reports that include vaccinated patients from around the world. So there's reports from Israel, from the U.S., uh, and also from Hong Kong that show consistently uh, benefits for high-risk patients uh, with respect to reductions in hospitalization and death. April mentioned earlier an important recent study that showed a a reduction in the risk of long COVID syndrome as well. Uh, That study was a study of 56,000 veterans who had tested positive for COVID who were treated with uh, Paxlovid. And so just tremendous impact when you think about the burdens that long COVID syndrome represents for our patients. Uh, So it's really uh, is a good support. Uh, There's really good support that it's worth the evidence to deploy this clinical uh, treatment. I think that some providers may have hesitancy because it feels like it's a very difficult drug to use, especially in our population, because there are some drug-drug interactions that people need to be mindful of when they're prescribing Paxlovid. I think that one of the benefits that we have um, as a geriatrics health care our community is that we're used to collaborating and dealing with difficult decisions around medication use. And there's actually great tools to help us do this. The FDA has a great eligibility screening checklist for prescribers that we've included in our toolkit. We've included some sample ordering sheets as well that can really help people to identify where there may be potential interactions and also really encouraging people to call on the role of their consultant pharmacists uh, to work with them. I personally uh, consider that I've treated uh, many patients in my practice uh, in post-acute and long-term care with Paxlovid, um, and they've tolerated it um, very well and had good results from it. So I think the myth of it being too difficult is actually one that we have good tools to intervene upon uh, uh, and, and to encourage uh, people to go ahead uh, and start to uh, Uh, you know, to work through that myth. I think the other biggest myth that I've heard people um, cite recently is that Paxlovid is only for high-risk patients. 
So they're waiting for their patients to be identified as high risk, and then they're waiting for them to become significantly symptomatic. So in that vein, I would remind us that the criteria for high risk really in a patient population in post-acute and long-term care pretty much includes all of our patients. Uh, When you look at the criteria, pretty much all of your nursing home residents are going to uh, qualify as high risk. The CDC uses an age rate of 50 years old as, uh, or one uh, chronic medical condition. And I don't know about you, Diane, April, Jennifer, but I mean, I don't see anybody without at least one chronic medical condition in my practice. And I don't see too many people that are under the age of 50. So even though, you know, I think that a lot of my uh, patients like to think of themselves as having great health status, the truth of the matter is they all criteria out into the high risk group that should be considered for Paxlovid therapy. Yeah, I think the ER used to call my patients a Diane special when they would get a, a, a person from me from a facility because they would come in with five or more um, issues. In. Yeah, exactly. Even our simple patients, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, they meet the criteria for high risk. So pretty much everybody we're seeing should be considered uh, for therapy on that basis. I've had people say to me, well, you know, all they've done is sniffle or they only have a low-grade fever. And so there's also, also this myth that clinicians should be waiting until a patient is experiencing really severe symptoms before they initiate treatment with Paxlovid. And that's actually not the best approach either. Clinicians really should be considering treatment based upon the individual's clinical condition and not the severity of their symptoms. With older adults like ours who are frail, if we wait for symptoms to become severe, we run the risk of missing the window for treatment or missing the opportunity to prevent progression towards severe symptoms and undesirable consequences like hospitalization or death. So we need to be thinking about this in all of our patients, and we need to be thinking about it with any symptoms. Uh, We're having conversations. Again, um, it's sort of uh, the piece here is that my patients don't all necessarily come with bright red flashing symptoms, right? Uh, My patients, um, their symptoms may be mild weakness. Maybe they uh, um, have uh, had a fall, um, a a mild progression of their frailty, sort of the um, dwindles-based symptoms. Uh, Maybe we'll see a loss of appetite or a low-grade fever. Because I think that the symptoms that some of our patients first present with are sort of mild, uh, we don't consider them as strongly. But those patients are still symptomatic, and they should be considered early for treatment uh, uh, in order to get uh, the most opportunity for benefit. I, I think you're you're absolutely right. We have to be um, proactive in our thinking about um, Paxlovid, and I, I want to talk about the new toolkit because uh, we have to start thinking about how are we delivering the the boosters in our facilities and making sure we're ready. And I'm just impressed that we have a toolkit where GAPNA, AANP, AAPA, the American um, Academy of Physician Assistants, American Association of Nurse Practitioners, ASCAP, the um, American Society of Consultant Pharmacists, and AMDA, our Society for Post-Acute Long-Term Care Medicine, all came together for this COVID-19 vaccination and therapeutics and post-acute long-term care toolkit. It's just impressive. Can you tell us, um, and um, I'll start with Suzanne, and and I would just want to go around uh, the room and just tell us about the new toolkit. 
Sure. So this toolkit is really a collaborative effort of our professional societies to put together resources for clinician education and for some patient education tools around vaccination and then around clinical therapeutics. Uh, the intention is that we uh, will all work together to identify what we can put in the toolkit so that it becomes readily accessible, evidence-based, and really one-stop shopping, if you will, for our members to be able to go in, bust some myths, get some facts, and develop good processes that they can put in place into their practice uh, uh, on day one of using it. Well, I absolutely love the toolkit. So as we have many, many busy clinicians, they're seeing a lot of patients, having the information just readily available, and it's very succinct. It's exactly what need what's needed and nothing more. Um, it's easily easy to go through. Um, I, I found it very useful. I really enjoyed the FAQs. I know Suzanne went over some of the myths, which which were great uh, to discuss. But the FAQs that come up all the time, um, there are templates for standing orders. Uh, so we can quickly pull that up, make sure that we're covering all of our bases in terms of standing orders for the Paxlovid. I particularly like one um, uh, one component, and it was put in there from GoodRx, and it's 10 things to know about COVID-19 antiviral pills, and it is just the top 10, and it is a one sheet need to know about antivirals uh, for COVID-19. That was a really um, nice ad. And then I also love the patient education pieces. But again, it's very succinct. It's easy to go through, handy to have right at your fingertips, um, which is very important when you're very busy caring for many patients and you want to make sure that you're providing comprehensive care for each and every one of them. Having this toolkit at your fingertips is invaluable. And I will add on to that, April. Um, I really love the toolkit as well. Um, one thing I really love about it, and I don't have the page memorized, uh, but on the page that addresses all the medications that have uh, no no um, contraindications with Paxlovid and those who do. Um, and I think this is really handy. Um, as you're looking at the toolkit, it, there's just so many, uh, so many great pages and so much good information that you could do a lot of uh, planning around your facility or doing any preparation because we know that COVID is coming. We know that the flu is coming uh, and are really going to be impacting our patients. So really, you know, working with our medical directors, working with the pharmacist and really preparing, seeing, um, you know, all of our patients, of course, are going to meet that first criteria because they are all frail and of advanced age, but starting to look at some of the other considerations and getting that plan together. And something I like about it too, is that with all of these targeted points about busting those myths about Paxlovid, it's really great as you're talking with families, especially if you're doing kind of preparation um, before uh, it, you have an outbreak in your facility and really talking with families about the benefits of Paxlovid and the benefits of starting early. And then also talking with your staff as well. I have found working in long-term care for so long that these informal channels of communication are often really effective, um, sometimes to our detriment. So really trying to uh, get ahead of the game and really talking talking up Paxlovid and talking about the truths of how Paxlovid is just so effective. And, you know, APRNs are, you know, trusted leaders in long-term care, as are, of course, physicians. Um, but, you know, we're starting to see that that is the important thing when we're talking about COVID. 
people want to go to their trusted healthcare leader, and that's us. So um, I really encourage uh, anybody listening today to download uh, download the toolkit, share it with others, use it as an education tool if you're providing education for families or other providers, and then you know engage uh, with your pharmacists, engage with your other leaders in uh, in your long term care communities by preparing and getting uh, getting getting yourselves ready um, for uh, the next outbreak that you're going to have of COVID. That's such a good point, Jenny. I had a conversation uh, with a colleague just this week. We were talking uh, through the parts of the toolkit, and she said to me, you know, I think it's just a great opportunity for us to sit down with our clinical leaders in our nursing facility and say, hey, let's look through the tools and think about what we're going to do as a team to deploy and be prepared, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, what are we going to do to ensure that we have a testing approach that links with our vaccination approach and our treatment approach? And so she really talked about walking through the toolkit and thinking through, hey, let's look at the different tools, because I think you're exactly right. Even just walking through them with your team is an educational moment. Uh, and then being on the internet, ready to access at any time, the toolkit becomes a good opportunity for your emergency preparedness and response as well. I think you mentioned the Paxlovid contraindications shortlist. I mean, I don't know about you, uh, but I love a shortlist in the title of itself. Uh, and this is a great one. Uh, when I show that to my nursing colleagues, for example, listing the names for medications Uh, that their patients might be on that might need to be held or alternatively prescribed uh, during uh, Paxlovid therapy. Uh, This shortlist really uh, creates a way for us to be prepared to have good clinical decision-making as a team uh, readily available. The other tool that I think is really valuable in the toolkit that some of us at um, AMDA and specifically at our American Board of Post-Acute and Long-Term Care Medicine help to create um, is a tool that defines some of the roles of medical directors. Uh, We went through and developed a quick tool overview sheet about the roles of the medical director in effective uh, prevention and treatment of COVID-19. I think it's really helpful for medical directors uh, to sort of think through the rules that they're using to engage with their team and how they can be most effective. Um, And and that tool um, should help us to do that. April, Jenny, any thoughts? Well, I think what's really um, what's really been nice in this process uh, with the toolkit is that we are all coming together and we're not separately sending out different messages, uh, different bits of information from different perspectives. It is where we all came together and said, let's talk about the standard of care, make sure the patients have exactly what they need, that we're able to ask answer uh, these questions that we have as clinicians, um, a standard guide that we're working from. I think um, there, there are so many interventions that we need to deploy um, as nurse practitioners. Um, I've already mentioned about the leadership. A lot of times, it, at least in uh, my area of the country, um, our physician partners are in many different facilities, whereas the APRNs are really housed in one, maybe two facilities and are more of a, a presence there. So really um, working together with our medical directors just to get that consistent message that, you know, uh, this is really 
important that this works and also working, of course, with our pharmacists uh, and getting that continued consistent message. And I think it's also important as well, just really um, in- engaging some of our more informal leaders uh, in the long-term care workforce there um, and finding our champions. Uh, but I do think it's important with that we have that really consistent message um, that, uh, that the toolkit really speaks to. And I, I do love the toolkit because there are parts and pieces that are for everybody that uh, are for physicians, NPs, pharmacists, nurses, um, and, and it's just very user-friendly. So um, I can't speak enough about how great this toolkit is. April, you've mentioned this, the standard of care, and I wanted to um, circle back to you on that in thinking about how we're working with this toolkit. I'm, I'm just curious, like, what other things can we do together when we come together like this? So, yes. So I think it was so important that we all came together, that we present a unified front. Uh, Patients today are getting a lot of different bits and pieces of information from a a lot of different sources. Um, They may be going online, talking with friends, family. What we need to do as professional societies is come together and make sure that our information is concise, certainly that it's evidence-based, that we're all working off the same uh, standard of care. Um, the, the information in this toolkit is all based on evidence. It is all based on the need to know for both co- providers, clinicians, pharmacists, as well as for our patients. So I think that was the thing that impressed me most is that we were all able to come together and say, this is the standard of care. Let's get this information out to our um, our respective clinicians, and let's make sure that patients get concise information and that they, most of all, get the accurate information about vaccination, about treatment, and and so that they can move forward and get this because we're approaching the holidays and uh, people are going to be gathering. Um, We're all going to be visiting our family members, and we want to make sure that they get vaccinated, that they have the treatments available to them um, if they do uh, get COVID-19. So I I just really wanna thank um, everyone on this podcast and uh, the entire collaboration for coming together for such a fantastic toolkit. No, and I think you're um, right on. I I love that they have that added into the toolkit um, with, with, pointers to go to the bivalent fact sheet for um, to talk about the myths and the the, um, the facts. I, I was like, I should just put this on posters and have it up around my house for Thanksgiving because it's so user-friendly. <laughs> it is like, I don't want to, I've been trying to tell you everyone, but here it goes. Here's a simple graphic that you can understand and walk through it. It shows you why you need to do A, B, or C. I love it. Um, I love the idea of one-stop shopping. If you, yeah, you know, you know, of course I do, but it really does um, make a difference when it comes to talking about these topics. I'm just wondering, and um, April, I'll direct this to you. In partnering with AMDA and other organizations, how has this helped to disseminate this message? Um, how does this help to get us moving forward? Oh gosh, uh, this has been just a, a, a fun discussion. Um, 
the one thing actually that keeps coming to my mind, um, I've been involved in much deprescribing research and deprescribing projects. Um, and being in geriatrics, I naturally am inclined to think about deprescribing. But this is one inc- incident where you know, we need to be prescribing the Paxlovid, the immunization. So um, we have to shift our framework here and and to be aggressive when it comes to uh, prevention and treatment. It's just that it's always a pleasure to work uh, closely with our uh, colleagues, our physician colleagues, pharmacist colleagues um, in work uh, such as this. And a delight, as always, to work uh, with uh, my colleague, Jenny Kim. Um, We're both NPs together. And so thank you so much for having us on today. Thanks, Diane. Uh, My thanks to you for hosting us today on the podcast. And I really echo what April and Jenny have said, that we're so much stronger together when we practice together and we use good evidence. Our patients are going to get the best care possible. Uh, And I think that's really exciting. Well, thank you. And thank you all who are listening. If you have any questions, please let us know. And we will see you next time. Have a great, great day. If you are a physician interested in obtaining ABPLM pre-approved certified medical director credits for certification or recertification, visit paltc.org slash podcast. Mm-hmm.